Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. On the show today, I'm talking to Dee Cotgrove, who's Deputy Director, Prime Minister and Cabinet Office Communications. I'm going to be talking to Dee about her time as Director of Communications at the Cayman Islands, why she suggested that each storm in the UK should have a name, and her new role as Deputy Director, Prime Minister and Cabinet Office Communications, which I'm told has an emphasis on how to improve and maintain professional standards within government communications. Dee spent 18 years working in the Commons office for the Met Office before moving to the Cayman Islands for a three-year posting. That sounds all right, doesn't it? And we'll get to talk about that. And returning to work for the UK Government Communications in May this year. Before we start, just to say thanks so much to the podcast sponsors, the PRCA. Do check out and do check out the PMM homepage for our latest webinars. Um, we just launched a stunning new series of webinars, uh, including uh, the following topics on what makes a good ESG report, what are the most popular KPIs in PR, uh, and also a really interesting one looking at the intersection of digital PR and SEO. And finally, on the plug front, don't forget the early entry deadline for the ESG awards is on Friday the 3rd of September. Dee, welcome to the PMM podcast. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me, Ben. It's great to be here. So you're back. You're recently back from order. Uh, was it a three-year stint as Director of Comms in the Cayman Islands? I mean, that just sounds like uh, a wonderful posting. Is it? Are, are you are you happy to be back, or are you are you crying into your your your, your cup of English tea every morning? Well, I am happy to be back. Um, I'm working in London, which is very exciting, and um, and I'm with my family, which of course I have had missed for the three years. COVID has separated families all around the world, and um, that became a yearning to come back. But my, my three years at the Cayman Islands was absolutely fabulous, as you can imagine and, and imply. Um, I mean, when I first saw the job on the Government Communications Service newsletter I thought you've got to be kidding me there is no such thing as a, as a job as amazing as that. While you were there you you took me through when we were chatting before you I don't know whether you went over there for potentially thinking you're going to have the quiet life but it didn't quite work out like that did it? Well it didn't but um, I knew that there was a, a, a job to be done that I felt quite comfortable with because it's a director of communications job it was their first director of communications whereas I'd been um, directing communications at the Met Office for many years so I felt quite comfortable with that part of the role. And, and, and in fact, crisis comms, we'll come to that later, I have a lot of experience on. But the job was actually about capacity improvement, um, you know, actually building the capability of the team. Um, and there were a number of things that I needed to do in probably some of them in tandem, some of them, in, in, you know, in, in order to do that. And there's actually kind of like the kind of four main steps. And it actually applies, I think, to anybody taking over a, a, a new um directing um, role and that's one to like unite you know firstly to unite the profession and that could be just uh, you might have a small team or you might have as I had in the Cayman Islands I needed to unite the whole profession from um, central government right through to sort of the agencies like Civil Civil Aviation Authority get all the comms people to come together as a profession to share what best practice they had because actually there was quite a lot of best practice within their own profession and within the island that they weren't necessarily 
sharing um, and also information and making sure that we had a grid process so we all knew when we were making who was making a big announcement let's not clash with that let's right. you know let's echo and amplify so that's sort of step one sort of unite the profession and get that sort of real community spirit within um, communications um, second thing to invest in training actually consciously invest in training so we ran training courses on um, planning, uh, communications planning, on crisis planning, which which were, were very much needed. Um, and we also need to do, manage as part of that investment, invest in improvement. We did need to invest in digital improvement. So, for example, their website was not able to carry so integrated social media or video. So. Um, at very relatively low cost, we introduced a new website. So you. Right. But while yeah, you were there, you, you had, well. but while you were there, you had, I, I can't quite think what the timings were on this, but you had, you obviously had COVID, um, you had an earthquake. What, when was the earthquake? When did that happen? Well, so really the improvement programme happened in the first sort of 18 months, if you like. Right. Um, so doing, you know, whole of government comms plan, campaigns around safer, cleaner, greener, um, you know, in, implementing rigorous evaluations. All of that sort of was, was under, so, underway. So, so it was all going quite then, nicely into plan. And, and then all it of It was all going quite nicely. And then in January 2020, there was, I was actually just popped out of the office for um, a late... Uh, lunch break and I was just in the library and um, a 7.3 magnitude earthquake happened mm. when I was in the library and I mean it was just that I was just about to reach for a book and then everything started shaking and it was like being in a disaster movie and, 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 and I you know it was quite a challenge I think, well, how would you behave in that circumstance and I was shaking I was frightened but I was actually still able to be really bossy so I was saying to somebody who was trying to get under a table, I'm like, and, and somebody else was trying to go down the lift. I'm like, no, we're going down that, we're getting, getting out through the emergency exit now. Um, and then, of course, after that, I, I re recollected that actually the thing you need to worry about after an earthquake is a, um, is a tsunami. So I got back to the offices as fast as I could, got up to the fourth floor where the um, op centre was and the premier and all the ministers uh, we needed were there. Everybody had gone to this place. We're talking about matters of minutes here. Um, and again, we had to sort of decide what to do, what, what information we knew about the likelihood of this tsunami. As I was walking up the steps, by the way, I was texting my husband saying, get to high ground, take yeah. water. But and presumably there's not a lot of high ground in the Cayman Islands, frankly. There, so There isn't, but if no. you can move inland and if you can go up a building, you yeah. know, my husband actually went to a, um, a, a football stadium, um, which was quite a good, good idea, but... Um, you know, and actually to get advice out to people really quickly. So yeah. um, the Cayman Islands, you know, obviously is well practiced with regards to hurricanes. So it does have mechanisms to get out really, really fast messages. Right. So we use radio interrupts and, you know, S SMS interrupts, you know, to actually get messages out from that. So um, telling people what to do, of course, is very important. But something we sort of learned of telling people what not to do is also very important. You shouldn't be getting into a car when you've got a tsunami. Don't get in a lift. <laughs> yeah exactly so exactly exactly so it's quite interesting something we you know you whenever you've got a crisis you're actually looking for what is the learning that you can implement next time so it's what but telling people what to do is really important and telling people what not to do sometimes it's also very important and i've never been in an earthquake but i mean how long did it go on for what was it 
The actual earthquake itself was a matter of minutes, but so quite, a, quite a long time though. You know, when when the when the whole place is shaking, that that, that, that I bet that, that that seems like quite a you know quite a while. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So my hands were shaking for, and I'm, my hands don't normally shake, but they were shaking for another two hours. I didn't actually right. personally stop shaking. And, and how just, how long was it until it became apparent that there wasn't going to be a tsunami? I think it was only something like. 20 or 30 minutes and part of that was actually trying to assess the information that was coming through you're trying to because the the people who are operating it trying to assess when was that information sent you know and, and when you know and what does it mean for us so the actual information might have been available quite a bit earlier but it's actually you're trying to assess quite a lot of information yeah. what it actually means and and, and and who who tells you whether there is or isn't going to be a tsunami is that is that the u.s met office I think out it's there the US, u.s geographical survey right. so you're you're on the phone to them saying fairly quickly you're on the phone to them saying guys what, what are we looking at right. exactly and for the comms team of course it's important that we're actually and this is i mean it was wonderful everybody had gone to the op center so we've done the first rule of crisis management is making sure that you have close connections with operations and you have close close connections with your leaders so our leaders were all there available what do you want us to do do you want us to go on air and i'm like yes let's get on do an interim message and then do another message you know to actually show leadership and to show, show you know re reassurance right. as well as well as give advice so um so it was a yeah, good job you a good job you then had a website that was able to do video content <laughs> because <laughs> um, presumably you needed that at that stage. Well, we certainly that came into play with COVID, that's for sure. Right. Um, so COVID, of course, happened in the March, didn't it? So we actually set up a microsite for that. So, so, um, so that was about a month later. I'm trying to get my head, my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a few yeah. land fire, landfill fires in between times, which we hadn't right. managed that, and then we had COVID. And I mean, and that, I mean, I think one of the big but yes, having a, um, a digital capability was very important. But the other thing that was really important was the fact that we had a united communications profession. So they were all able to immediately come together. We were trained. We understood things like OASIS planning models. So I said, here's the master model. You go away and do yours for the, your business audiences, you know, for vulnerable people, for you know, general audiences, for, 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 for education, so that we could all very quickly coalesce to actually deal with this that was a very new thing and of course massively fast changing policy so we really had to be on it um w was there much covid in the cayman islands i don't know well there wasn't because the government reacted very very quickly it decided it had a um zero risk threshold didn't want anybody to get covid or anybody to die of covid on the island um, very passionate about um, community and protecting those who are elderly and, and, and vulnerable. Um, so with that sort of, um, you know, very, very low risk appetite, the borders were closed very, very quickly. Um, the um, uh, very, very stringent um, curfew measures were put in place. Um, uh, and, you know, huge restrictions like you, you were only allowed out on your letter day. So whatever you're, you so so that's like splitting half the population. You 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 know when you enter the shops, um, and one hour. So exercise. only allowed out on your letter day means what? If you were halfway through the al, if A to halfway through the alphabet, whatever Correct. that is, you allowed out that, on a right. Okay. That's right. And of course, the comms team has to communicate all of this. So we we quickly developed a a sort of soothing, calming brand. We use sort of like a blue background, which kind of works for the Cayman Islands. Um, so like diverse and inclusive. 
um, you know, imagery and, um, you know, representation of people. Very, very simplistic messages. By simplistic, I mean taking very complex messages and breaking them down into simple little 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 pieces that people could actually act on and share, of course, through social media. WhatsApp is, I know it's quite big here, but it's massive in the Cayman Islands. A lot of content is shared on WhatsApp, so we need to make sure that it was the content we were producing could be could be shared and also having to deal with disinformation i mean a lot yeah. of disinformation and worry which of course is absolutely natural something people would worry about quite rightly i suppose on a small island is are we going to be cut off are we not going to have our supplies of food so we needed to work very very quickly with um uh, you know port the you know i spoke the the leader of the port ports um and um, our supermarket suppliers get them on doing, you know, WhatsApp voice notes that could then be shared immediately out to people saying, no, we've got this month's supplies, we've got all our contingency, you know, there is plenty of food and, and there will continue to be plenty of supplies. Because, of course, we weren't stopping um, cargo coming in. It was just people coming in that was restricted. Yeah. So that was pretty full on. And then and then when, so it, the hurricane season is when? That's from, from remind me? Well, it used to run from, say, June to October, but with climate change, it's becoming, you know, um, so July till October, with climate change, that's sort of like spreading. So it sort of almost starts in June and then goes on to November. And in the Caribbean, in any case, you tend to be affected more towards the end of the season. Right. Um, so we did have a little bit of breathing time, if you like, to get through COVID because we'd managed to um, stop community transmission in the Cayman Islands by about, I think it was... June or July, something like that. And then we then, you know, we're into the hurricane season. And um, yeah, so hurricanes actually form just off Africa and then they go up the, um, they quite often early in the season, they veer off into the Atlantic and you're watching this. It's not you're in a bowling alley and you're watching this and you're like, okay, it's not coming for us this time. But later in the season, you can even get hurricanes actually forming in the Caribbean Sea. And it was the busiest hurricane season on record. And you're having to manage teams through this. So um, one of you know the other sort of like really important points that I would make when you're managing teams through this sort of like relentless crisis to make sure you have rotors. People can't work 18 hour days. Actually, when it's very pressurized, they can't even really work 10 hour days because it's too, it's too intense. So you're really looking at eight hour rotors you want. And you need, you know, somebody on digital, somebody on, um, you know, on, on media, you know, you, you know, um, somebody on, um, you know, on the website. You know, you need a core team, somebody working on actually getting the messages from the operational team, um, and then in turn, you need a core team working. Um, you know, and you need eight-hour shifts, and, and that's what we what we implemented. Um, but I mean, I had my for the hurricane season. I had my my grab bag all already because we were actually right on the coast, um, which was very very lovely, but very risky being right there, uh, grab bag ready, whilst also doing the con. So um, it was quite an interesting experience, and perhaps a bit different than the Met Office, where I was dealing with crises, but I didn't personally feel mm. in danger because we're, you're doing crises across the whole nation, whereas there you felt. You're actually very much attached to the community and what's happening to them. In a way, I guess it perhaps even makes you a better communicator because you're living and breathing what is happening, and therefore you're actually talking to the operations people and saying, "We need to give people advice about what to do. We don't want to just keep 
We don't want to talk just about wind speeds. We want to be telling people what to do, when, what does it mean for them, when when might they need to evacuate. Yeah, but but you've also got to worry about yourself, haven't you? So, you, you know, there is there is that, you know, you don't, you don't want to be... You've you got to make sure that you're you're not in any danger whilst you're yeah, yeah. Um, trying to come up with, with a, a communication yeah. strategy at the same time, yeah. I, I guess. What, what was the... I, mean, uh, I, have built, I would just say, though, I have built a really strong team around me, um, right. you know, and actually one of the people in that team who is working with me is now um, my successor, so I was very pleased to identify a successor. And that, um, well, that was part of the brief, was it, to, to go over there and, and find it was. out? Right. Indeed um, it was. And she was, uh, as I am, a marketer. So nice. she comes from a marketing background. Um, uh, um, I, w- I probably can mention her name, Anisha Richard. You could always look it up anyway. So she's she's a wonderful marketer. Um, came from um, Cayman Islands tourist, uh, uh, you know, government promotion, um, and um, you know is now doing a great job as um, director of comms in the Cayman Islands. Well, welcome back. Um, uh, so you, you had some proper crisis experience while you're out there, and then you, you, you've 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 now joined the UK Government Communications Service. Uh, just, I suppose, for people who aren't aware who are listening in, just just talk us through what the role of GC, GCS is first of all before we, we talk about the, the sort of um, the, 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 your role specifically. Yeah. So the Government Communications Service is the professional body for four and a half, probably about four and a half thousand um, government communicators who work, you know, across the full range of. Um, government services, you know, it could be you know, health, transport, defence, education, business and science. So, um, that, you know, huge policy areas um, and communications are at the forefront of actually connecting the public to those policy areas. So the government communication service is actually a, it's a professional body for that service to actually help um, government communicators be their best, so to share best practice, to come together and share learnings, to um, to uh, ha- have means of actually progression and talent spotting um, supported for them, um, and actually to you know to to you know volunteer and, and and support support each other through that. It's also a means actually of doing assessment as well, of saying well how are we doing as a, as a profession? What what can we improve? Um, and, and the just for people who may not be aware, it's it's not political, is it? If you see what I mean, it's it's a, it's apolitical. Is that right? It's not political, but the job of civil servants is to support the government of the day. Yeah. That's what we're here to do. So the job of the government communication service is to connect the um, audiences with government priorities to make, of course, public lives better. Um, you know, or to protect and to protect, um, you know, protect lives, and also to connect um, citizens with public services. Um, you know, so it's there's a, there's, a, there's a huge job for government communicators to do to support, um, you know, gov- to support government. And how, how I'm, I'm just trying to think of the different government departments and the, and the, and the public sector. So where, where does the government, um, so the government communications service stop, if you like, N- NHS? Um, communicators, they're, they're not part of, of GCS, is that right? Well, they're affiliate members. I mean, okay. you, you know, they're associate members or even right. closer than that, actually. I mean, it, the point is we're working, if you think about COVID, we worked as a completely integrated team. Um, the, you know, you, you couldn't, the, the whole of government come together and the whole of communications came together. So NHS works seamlessly with, you know, with other communicators right through, of course, to, you know, local government to actually implement uh what we were doing so actually asking for behavior change 
from everyone everywhere so that meant that right. everyone in government communications had to support that whether it was behavior change for businesses or behavior change um, for what somebody does in a you know care home or behavior change for for an individual and what we do when we're traveling through the network so if you think about that you can see how all the communicators across all of those different sectors would be involved um, yeah. so it was a single um, single plan just as it was in the, in the Caymans of course I wasn't running the plan here no. I was observing it from from abroad but um, yeah and did I mean just so the so the, the campaign and the communications and the messaging around Covid is, is clearly one really good example just give us a, a, a couple of other flavours of the types of um, campaigns that GCS tends to get involved with yeah, and I suppose the health ones are sort of like one of the perhaps most obvious ones, aren't they? You know, we've got sort of the better better health campaign, you know, coming out of COVID, you know, 80% of adults wanted to make a, a health change, you know. And, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, through that campaign, a lot of people downloaded the NHS weight loss app. It was downloaded 1.3 million times. And, oh, really? and Leeds and Aberdeen universities found that 90% of those completed the 12 week program. So that's sort of like just another example of health. Well, do you know, do you know what, Dee? I'm, I'm going to download that after this podcast. I didn't know about that. I, I missed <laughs> that one. So what is that? The NHS what? <laughs> yeah, so the NHS weight loss up. You don't look like you need it, actually. Well, I know that uh, your, your viewers might, your, your listeners might not be able to see it, but you look, you look fine to me. A, a baggy, a baggy shirt covers up lots of, lots yeah. of. Um, but anyway, there. Yeah. Um, another, another campaign though that was, or that was run, or um, another tool I thought was very clever was the go viral um, game, really that. Um, people could interact with. And I think that's very clever actually to help people start thinking about disinformation and misinformation and fake news and actually taking people through scenarios, um, you know, where you have sort of you know, fake experts or hyper, you know, emotive language. Um, and, you know, people who did that game, it was developed by our government communication service international, because we have a kind of international branch. Um, people who played that game were sort of, you know, were more aware of these techniques, you know, fake news, and more likely to spot fake news. And of course, in the fight to um, uh, with COVID, that was sort of vital in the Cayman Islands, and of course, vital here. So it was quite clever to do something like that with sort of like a long-lasting impact across, you know, multiple areas, not just COVID. Uh, uh, just give us the name news, of give us the name of that app again, so we can people can look it up. Go, yeah, go viral. Okay. I'm going to look that up because that, that's one of the things, isn't it? Because uh, one of the frustrations I have, I suspect a lot of people have, is that people who who, who spread this misinformation always sound quite good, don't they, if you see what I mean? And my my starting point with these people is that they're just really, really stupid. But then when you actually listen to them and see them on TV, you realise they're not they're not actually that stupid. They're just very manipulative. And so it's it's a it's a it's definitely a it must be such a difficult challenge to try and spread the uh, 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 the, the right message. Um, and, and also deeply frustrating, I suppose, when when it doesn't yeah. actually, when you find that people sort of for no apparent no good reason um, don't um, don't believe you. Yeah, I mean, I guess you'll always get a percentage of people who are more likely to. You're really trying to, you're really trying to influence the people who are, you know, have been manipulated. They didn't, you know, and, 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 and misinformed. You know, so games like Go Viral can help. But 
I mean, the two the two main tools, of course, is to direct people to the authoritative source of information. That's what I do. I read some of this stuff and I think, oh, that sounds really compelling. Let me go and look up what the NHS is saying. Well, let me go and look up, you know, the equivalent in America. What are they actually saying? Go to the authoritative source. So that, and, and that's what governments, you know, that's what the UK does. It provides an authoritative source of information. So that's one technique i think the other technique of course and you have to do this now is actually to work with influencers in the community um you know with other sort of like trusted um, um you know peer peer voices so that's the other thing we did a lot in the cayman islands and i know that's been done here in, in the uk as well so i mean that's another technique that you can use as well as these education campaigns like sort of go, go viral Right. So come on then, you've been, uh, part of your role is to, to help improve professional standards within the, the government's communication service. Just talk me through how, and I, I suppose that, you know, there's, there's loads of different stuff you do, I'm sure, which is going to be beyond the scope of what we're going to be talking about today. But just talk us through a bit about how you attain and improve um, professional service within GCS. Yeah. So my team, that I've been lucky enough to um, inherit, has like four main areas that it, um, that it, that it, that it um, covers to help the government communication service. Um, so number one, looking at talent pipeline, getting great people in to ensure we have a diverse and vibrant um, communication service and supporting people with their development. Number two, making sure we've got like standards and training um, so that people can know what good looks like um, and be helped with that assessment, actually, because assessment is an important tool, actually, you know, assessing your own skills, how you're getting on, but also assessing teams, are teams high performing? Um, and then the community element that, uh, as I've mentioned, again, this is very important, building a community. So my team do the newsletters and look after the government communication service website, which I would ask people to go and have a look at, actually, because it's a lot of the tools and guidance is freely, uh, freely available. It's the details of this stuff, which I think is really interesting for people. So you've got guides on on what you what, what sort of you, you I'm well aware of the the guides you did with Amec, for example, around measurement. But presumably you've got lots of those of you or, or a fair few of those that, that, that as a lot of people. That's right. There's a lot of tools and guides. I mean, I think the sort of the, the master guide, the one that I would invite everybody to have a look at first is um, OASIS, right. um, which stands for it helps with comms planning, campaign planning, but it also helps with media planning, helps with lots of different planning, actually. Just talking about what OASIS stands yeah. for then. I, so I, I had that, to write it down, so I made sure I knew, but go on, you, you, have, you talk <laughs> your people through. Yeah, so it stands for um, objective, so being clear what your objective is and how it links to organisational goal, what you're trying to achieve. Um, audience insight, which is really important, what do you know about the audience that you're trying to reach, what sort of behaviour you're trying to um, change in them, you know, what are you wanting them to do. Um, strategy, how are you going to go about that. Implementation, the great detail, you know, that's where you get all of the tactics and the detail and the media planning and the buying and all of that. And then measurement, um, which again fits, of course, with what you've mentioned. The measurement is so important. I mean, the AMEC, Association of Measurement and Evaluation of Communications, um, I think they have this big conference, didn't they, called in Barcelona. Quite uh, When we used to have live events that we went to and they were called after places. Well, that, um, yeah, that was a few years back, that one. I, I, I was there. Blimey, that I was there. But oh, it, wow. But it was a funny oh. I mean, it, it's one of those things that has been... Um, People look back on it at this, at this, um, at this sort of 
major moment in, in communications, but, but it was really a, just a principle that we, we can measure the impact of communications, which has uh, felt to me a bit of a baby step at the time, but every, everyone is, is deeply proud of that moment, yes. But um, I found, yeah. you see, I think it's made a profound difference. And when I've explained to teams that, you know, you can describe the input, you know, how many press releases and how many videos you've produced, I'd quite like to know what your outputs are. So did yeah. people engage with those? Did they share them? And then what I really, really want to know, because this is what the business or the organisation wants to know, is what was the outcome? What difference did it make to people's lives? Yeah. What difference did it make to trust and government? So I actually think it's extremely powerful. And when you think about it in the context of the OASIS model, when you make sure you've got your measurement right, you can actually go back and think about your objective and think, have you got your objective right? Because you have to be able to measure your objective. So yeah. actually you, you, you can pace round through it. I think it's, um, do so, actually think it's very powerful. So what I love about the um, the GCS is that a lot of this, a lot of this resource is just freely available, isn't it? So um, we'll yeah. um, we'll include um, as much as we can in the show notes. But we've we've obviously got Oasis. There is the um, there's a there's a, 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 a pretty a pretty heavy guide, isn't there? That's uh, what, there's the, the GCS communications guide. What 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 other resources would you suggest that people look up? Well, I think, again, linked to Oasis, because it's sort of, you sort of start with that model and then it pushes you off into various other supporting um, okay. models. And the Government Communication Service has its own behavioural scientists um, and they produce models to help us with campaigns. We're actually trying to change people's behaviours to make their lives better, safer. Um, and so uh, understanding uh, behavioural science can, you know, greatly support that. So they have various models like the BCOM model, which makes you think about, well, what um, the COM stands for, let's get this right, capability, opportunity, and motivation. So if you apply that to something like, um, you know, COVID and washing hands, so do I have the capability to do this? Well, it only takes soap and water. You know, I remember in the early days, when people <laughs> saying, saying, you know, you needed all of these, you know, do we need a sort of sanitizer? No, soap and water, so you have the capability only takes 20 seconds opportunity yes it's it's it, it's you know something you can do on the way when you when you get in the door do it then sort of opportunity and motivation well you remember those we've seen them a lot those images of um you know germs on a on a door handle you know and those being transposed to to somebody's hand you know so there's motivation that actually look this is there are germs i need i need to wash them off so that that sort of technique can help with thinking about the messaging that you have. They've also produced, the behavioural science team have also produced, and very recently it was launched in um, July um, you know, this year, um, something called InCase, which helps us when we're thinking about campaigns, think about unintended consequences. There are things we're trying to achieve, but what about if inadvertently there are unintended consequences? So you could think about a campaign that might be saying, right, we're encouraging people to exercise more. Well, there could be an unintended consequence. We think, OK, great, I've run 5K, so I can now go back and have a cream cake. Um, and if your objective was to live a healthy lifestyle, if that was the objective of that campaign, you need to be really careful about the messaging, about what that means. Do you really need to take on extra calories? because you've, you've, you've done some exercise. So that's just a very, um, you know, one example, but actually the in-case model takes you through all of these different types of um, things. So 
the S actually in case stands for signaling, being very careful with the imagery that goes with your campaign to make sure it's signaling the right behaviours. Um, so that's a sort of very interesting model as well. And it shows you, I think, about the sort of that communications is in itself, it's a profession and it's a science and it's informed by science. And that again is why it's important to do the measuring. This is a science we need to show the outcome and benefit. Well, we'll, um, we'll include as many of the, the links as we can to all of those sorts of guides, because I think they're, they're really useful for people um, when, um, when, they're, when they're thinking about their own professional development. Um, and as I say, all credit to, uh, to GCS for, for sharing as many of those as they do um, in, in a public forum. Uh, just, just to finish up, just want to talk a bit about your, um, your, your time at the Met Office, because you were there for 18 years, weren't you? Which is, um, that's a long old time. Um, do, do you regret st having stayed there for as long as that? Not, not particularly anything against the Met Office, just a long time to stay in one job, or, or is it something that it, you think has no. really benefited from? Well, it's a good, very good question. Well, 18 years is about the time it takes to raise a child, doesn't it? So um, there might be something to do with, with that and location, of course. People, be, you know, um, and maybe we're moving away from, 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 from that. I don't know. So there's something around that. But... Gosh, it went so, in a way, it went so quickly and I did so much with the Met Office and in the Met Office and many people stay for longer. Many people spend their whole careers at the Met Office and in a way, why wouldn't you? Where, 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 where were you? Were you in Exeter? Was that... It was in right. Exeter, right. but the Met Office itself is an international organisation. So it's, you know, part of the international Met community. It, it has um, 400 or 500 weather and climate scientists. Um, it's, you know, a, a, a well-known government brand, of course, um, and it was fantastic being there as I was promoted right through from head of marketing right through to the, you know, executive head of um, uh, media and communications um, and dealt with all sorts of things. You know, one of the most exciting periods, of course, was the, the, the dig digital revolution, you know, actually bringing in social media and blogs and um, you know, owning the website and yeah. um, creating apps, you yeah. know, and I, I was basically working at the frontier of, um, you know, and, and in partnership with IT colleagues, you know, so, so that was fascinating. And, I suppose fascinating. before that, frankly, all, all the, 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 the sort of some integration, sorry, interaction, I should say, most of us had with the Met Office was listening to the, the weather forecaster on BBC or ITV or whatever it happens to be. Exactly. But, but, the, and what but it all changed, in, didn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And what we, I mean, even set up our own broadcasting studio. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm brought in. I mean, Claire Nazir has, has done a lovely um, uh, blog for the civil service website. And I was instrumental in bringing Claire Nazir into the Met Office when we were setting up a broadcasting studio and employing our own broadcasters. And the reason we were doing that is because we knew we could syndicate the content through the newspapers and we knew we could deliver the content through our website, our own website, which has massive reach. So, you know, that was a, that's a fantastic thing. I mean, Ben, that's what you're able to do, isn't it? You're able now directly to reach audiences that's what you do that's what so many people can do now and of course big brands like the Met Office have got you know huge um, you know trust and, um, uh, and and huge reach now through the digital channels that I helped to set up so it was a very very exciting time and finally um, 
is it true that it, you were? It's your fault that each storm has has a name now. That as we come into Britain, yes. uh, I, I mean, I said yes, that yeah, that probably is my most famous thing that I've done. So, storm naming. How did it come about? Well, so as I said, the Met Office is an international organisation. So part of my role was, you know, looking at best practice around the world. So I went to things like the American Meteorological Society conferences that were annual, and. Um, you know, they were doing a lot of talk about hurricanes and behaviour change. And, and, and I observed about and learned about the naming system that they had there and realised, of course, hurricanes are named after and they're sort of ocean storms, aren't they? Whereas we had some of the problems they were talking about were actually problems we had in the UK. It was, you know, were people really taking action on the warnings that we were providing? Um you know, what we, you know, and that was very important that people should, but we weren't actually seeing an increase in people taking preparedness action for our warnings. So I sort of thought, well, why can't we name land-based storms? And um, I, I mentioned this to Met Office colleagues and, and they weren't sure at first, but I thought, well, how would we go about implementing it and what we needed to do is we needed to talk to our European meteorological service colleagues, talk to them, see if we get them on board. And fortunately the Irish Met Service agreed to come into a pilot with us. And um, and, and and we started, but from the comms point of view, we did a lot of work with the Irish Met Service to make sure all our policy and processes were were joined up. Um, and the actual naming, the actual names of the storms, and I think this was again back to the ability of the Met Office to reach audience through social media, we effectively crowdsourced those, so we invited the public to um, suggest names, and then we collected something like 10,000 names in a very, very short period of time, right. and uh, and we used those to start naming storms. I'm yet of course, to see what, storm was the, what was the first storm, Ben? Can you remember the first storm name? As far as I'm concerned, it should have been called Storm Ben, but I, I don't know. Um, I can't remember. Well, it doesn't start with an A, does it? Because you use, you no, use an A. Okay, so the first, first storm? storm was, it was Abigail, and of course, hilariously, a big gale. Oh, very good. Right. Excellent. Very good. Did you know that before it? Had you, mm, no. No. <laughs> Brilliant. Dee Cockgrove, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great to catch up. Lovely. Thanks ever so much for having me, Ben. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.